It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. And welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. And you are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. I would very much like to welcome our two guests into the studio. I have with me Tanya Williams and Shelley Nero. And uh, they are here to talk about a couple of things. Uh, one is a film, The Incredible 25th Year of Mitzi Bearclaw, and also the opening and the festival of the Real World Film Festival returning from October 17th to the 21st. So, ladies, um, I, I don't know which one we want to start with first. Would you be like to start with? Well, we're, the film is part of the festival, so why don't we start with, with uh, Tanya. Tanya, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you and so much. It, it's great that you're here. Now, I understand it's the 19th year of the festival? This is the 19th year of Real World Film Festival, and we're really excited and proud of the films that we're going to be presenting. Um, for your listeners who might not know what Real World Film Festival is, we're completely dedicated to BIPOC, which is Black, Indigenous, People of Color, Canadian filmmakers, content creators, and all levels of the entertainment industry in Canada. Wow, that's great. And uh, and as you say, it's in its 19th year. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what can you tell us that's special about the 19th year? Well, unlike the 18th, <laughs> we are one year older. One year, one year older, all right. <laughs> we're showing amazing features. Um, this year, I think what we're the most proud of is over the years, we've tried to do a maximum of Canadian films, but this year it's 100%. So every single film is made by a Canadian filmmaker. Um, our industry panels have Canadian BIPOC, primarily people mm-hmm. on the industry panels. Um, we also have an incubator program called our E20s, which is now in our 15th year of that, that does really well, where we um, do workshops, but also set up our E20s with pitches with broadcasters and distributors. And that's done really well. Several projects have gotten launched through that incubator program. So we're excited. What kind of things do you hear back from people that take part in that? For the From the BIPOC um, content creators, great things. Um, we helped... Richie Mehta get his start. Uh, Samantha Wan, um, actually, the second gen was through the incubator program. There are just a lot of great positive feedbacks. I think that's what keeps us going. It's just knowing that we're actually making a difference in getting more racial diversity out in the Canadian industry. Um, because as you know, this in, people want people. This is a really diverse country. In fact, someone said the other day, this really real world might not work in any other country. Mm. We are like the most diverse country in the world. And to be able to embrace that with the images that we see on the screen, we want them to reflect what we see every single day on the streets. Now, you founded this 19 years ago. Yes. So you've invested uh, quite a bit of time and effort into yes. this project. Instead of having a child, I had Real World <laughs> Film Festival. Which could equivalently be, yeah, you could look at it like that. It's true. Absolutely. Uh, I, w- I would say that, in fact, anyone that takes on a creative work of any kind uh, does eventually give birth to that project. It has to be to go out there on its own at I- some point. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's what you see with every filmmaker. And um, when I saw Shelley's film, I just was so blown away um, by the whole, uh, you know, there's so many stereotype Mm -hmm. films when there's BIPOC people involved. And I love seeing a film that is completely just a human story, just a universal story anyone can identify with. I'm sure everyone, a lot of people there have left a small town and gone to the big city and then you never wanted to return to your small town, but you go back 
and then you feel like the piece of you that might have been missing away for it is is there and and now you bring you have a different perspective when you have more maturity and you've you've gone away and come back and i and that's what i really loved about her film mm. well thank you I'm not ready to jump over to to, uh, to Shelley yet oh. to talk about her film. See I wanted, how I was doing a great segue. You, you there did. You I, did a I fabulous did segue. I know it was, it was great, and we should have timed that better. But anyway, um, let's explore a little bit more about your involvement with Real World. Yes. And as I said, you started it 19 years ago. Yes. Who who was the the Tanya from 19 years ago that took this project on? Well. Um, in case you don't know just a little about um, me, I was I was born in England. My parents are Jamaican, so I've lived a few different places. Didn't get to Canada till I was 12. But I remember feeling as a really small child, not embarrassed that I was a black person because of the people I saw around me, but definitely embarrassed to be a black person from the images I saw on television. It was the Tarzan shows with always the black people carrying the spears or the American shows that would come to England with just the tap dancing, you know, wide eyed um, people that were put down as black people. But when I was 10 years old in 1968 and I saw Julia starring Diane Carroll, it blew my mind in the way that I know still blows people's minds who are BIPOC when they can see images of themselves. And I never forgot that. Not that I thought at the time I was going to be in the movie industry or whatever, but I remember the impact of that. So we cut ahead and I started, I actually start working as an actress. So I went to Ryerson. I take the drama program. I'm working on television here. Then I go to Los Angeles. I'm, I got on a show called The Young and the Restless that I started on for 20 years. But every time I would come back to Toronto, there'd be a lot of people saying to me, um, how do I get to the States? Not how do I build a career here in Canada? And I saw that we were losing a lot of our talent. And so 19 years ago, that's the thing I wanted to do. How can we keep the talent here? And so it's not just about the talent. It was also educating, you know, broadcasters and government funders and everybody else out there, the importance of this, the economic importance of this, that why should other countries be getting this great talent when we could be developing them here mm. and giving them opportunities here? And how has that how has that evolved for, for from that idea? It's 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 grown and it's evolved because you know you're you're never an island, you mm. know. So I have an amazing BIPOC board of directors and a BIPOC staff and BIPOC volunteers, and they bring their interests and their thoughts and their experiences to the whole thing. So we expand from my one idea has you know germinated into other things that they 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 think are important to the whole process, that we've included some of them and taken out other things, but we're still always moving forward. And the moving forward is what are the things that we can do to give them give more exposure, to give more talent, to give more access, to get more of those stories out there. And not just the filmmakers. We look at agents, casting directors, managers, distribution. We need BIPOC people in those areas as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I didn't think about when I started the festival, because I, I made every mistake you could possibly make in a festival, so I know a lot now after 19 <laughs> years, but that they were not programmers or mm. arts administration or marketing people or publicists. So a lot of the training we ended up doing, even though that's not what we really signed up for, and some of those people have gone on to work at TIFF and work at Hot Docs in those areas. So that's also been part. We're, we've become – we're the college now. We're uh-huh. the real world <laughs> College of Film Festivals. But that's great that you mentioned that because Mm -hmm. everyone, a lot of people do think about the final product, the film part of it, the actors, the directors, the the people that are, but they forget about everything that happens behind the scenes and all those people that are involved with making this, these kind of things happen as well. Yes. 
So that's wonderful that you did this. You created uh, this entire uh, environment for people to thrive in, which is fabulous. So uh, what I'm wondering about now, in its 19th year, and, and uh, congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. Um, I, I'm wondering about, you mentioned that this might not work anywhere else. Yes. And so I'm wondering, are you getting interest from other places now can, going, hey, how can we, can we sort of, you know, model this? Can we work with you? You Just know, try and set something like that up somewhere else. It's really interesting that you said that. Uh, two things. So one, I get emails all the time now from other countries mm. um, who have come to real world and have tried to do the same thing. But it doesn't quite come out the same way because they keep just making a festival that is inclusive to just a specific group. I think it's just very difficult for other countries to understand that I'm embracing all racial diversity. Um, and be- because I was black when I started the festival, so many people wanted to say, oh, yes, real world, it's a black film festival. They mm-hmm. couldn't actually conceptualize that someone black would have as much interest in the Asian, South Asian, you know, Middle Eastern indigenous community, but I embrace all of it. And I've not yet had anyone who reached out to me to do that very specific thing. They have mostly been trying to, they think they're cultivating the same kind of festival, but it really ends up being a completely indigenous or a completely black or a completely Asian or or South Asian. So I don't know what that is, but that's just the way my mind has always worked, that I see the whole world as this one small little pebble that we're we're all on. Right. But as you talked about doing that, part of our goals and future moving forward is we want to do more satellite film festivals, but across Canada. Mm. And then eventually, because my thing is always about Canadian talent, I want to be able to take some of our real world programming into other countries. Mm. People, a lot of, we know we have a lot of diversity here, but I've gone to other countries where they are shocked. They're like, oh, you're black. Are you Canadian? Are there other black people there? I'm like, they're a couple, <laughs> you know, couple. because sometimes the, the projects that are getting exported are not really reflective mm-hmm. of the country. So I want to have that opportunity, too, that we can go into Scandinavian countries and go into France and the UK and all these other countries and show here is parts of Canada that you're not aware of, because that's important as well. I have to. Yeah, it's just I find that so funny when you say that. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, when you say, you know, I'm wondering is it is it this multicultural society that we have in Canada that is part of that success then perhaps of what you're talking about and why it's not working elsewhere? I believe it's so unique. I believe Canada is, I mean, we are, we're always, people are always asking, you know, what, what makes Canada different? What mm. is the, the Canadian, you know, ideal, whatever it is that you, that explains. And I think it's that we are much more um, inclusive and embracing. And even when we're not doing it, I find we are the first to go, we're not good at this. We need to be better. We need to be, we'll actually um, challenge ourselves that Mm. we should be doing this better. There are other countries who just fight it to tooth and nail. They're just like, no, we're doing it best. We're doing it. And and one of them is very close to us. (laughs) It was very close. (laughs) (laughs) But of course, there's always more to do. But I really love that no matter what room I walk into and no matter what I say, I can totally tell that they've not maybe gone down the road of, of what I'm talking about. It's not because they don't want to. They hadn't mm. thought of it. Mm. And once they do, they're like, what can, What more can we do, Tanya? How can we? So you can see by we have many great partners from you know Telefilm Ontario Creates, even TD Bank, all these people. And I think it's because it's the values that they share also. And mm. they just want to know how can we do more of it. 
That's great. What a what a wonderful story. Now you know it's the nineteenth year, so I can't help but think about the twentieth year. You I'm already. I've been thinking about it all year. <laughs> yeah. That's probably going to be a big one for you guys. Yes, we're going to have to at least make you know one like firework thing. You know, like yeah. one, one. <laughs> some little splashy thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I want the twentieth year to be almost as we even face the future and the, to celebrate the last twenty years. So we, we want to do some rescreenings of things from the very first, mm. you know, bringing back some of our success stories. I think that's sort of the direction that I want to move the 20th year and sort of have one of those birthdays that take 12 months. Mm. <laughs> I want to celebrate for 12 months. <laughs> that sounds great. And thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Um, that is the voice of Tanya Williams, and she's the founder of the Real World Film Festival in its 19th year. Now, uh, Tanya, we're going to slide over to speak with uh, with Shelley now. But um, if there's something that you want to, you know, pop in with or add to uh, what Shelley is saying, please, uh, by all means. Um, and you already did sort of set us up and give us that segue into to Shelley's film. Shelley, it's it's great to have you here. It's uh, yeah. you know, it's always nice to see somebody from Six Nations come into the studio and and that I'm able to uh, share the airways with. So uh, welcome and and. Oh. Uh, Thank you, David. It's really great to see you, too. I haven't seen you in, what, years? Yeah, it's yeah. been a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you have, uh, your, you, your film is opening up the festival this year. Yeah. And, and that's, that's very exciting. It's um, very exciting. And, of course, uh, the 25th year uh, of, um, I'm just trying to find the title here. Sorry, the incredible 25th year the, of Mitzi Bearclaw. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. The incredible 25th year of Mitzi Bearclaw. Yep. Now, I have to say that uh, the first thing that, that struck me about the film was the opening, mm-hmm. uh, for a number of reasons. Um, it, not just the, the, the shot uh, from the, the universe, but, but even, even the font used, you know, and the way it's so creatively put together. And of course, then we have the, this wonderful voice that comes in, and I'm going, I know that voice. <laughs> And it's Elizabeth Hill who has, has put some original material yeah. and, and, and songs into this. Uh, another person from Six Nations. I think she live, lives north now, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, she's in Thunder Bay. Yeah. But, um, you know, great to hear it. And, and a beautiful song and a beautiful way to open up the film. Mm-hmm. Yep. She's uh, such a gifted writer, composer, performer. And to have her presence in the film in the beginning, it's like... It's like a gift. It's mm. like somebody presenting you with a box of chocolates. Like, here, <laughs> have some chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Now, um, so, and you also have a great cast. There's a great cast in the film. And, um, you know, you never know what you're going to get when you're making a film. Because sometimes the cast could be great and it could be an off day. And it's like, oh, there goes that <laughs> there goes that day. But they were all focused on what they were doing. And they brought their own their own history into what, as they're acting out the, the parts in the film. Um, I, you know, I felt that, um, being a native person and they being a native person, I wrote the script, but I didn't really want to impose my ideas right to the bitter end and say, Mm -hmm. now you're going to do this. Now you're going to move this way or whatever. I wanted them to, uh, take on the, the, the script itself and digest it. And then, you know, live the part that they're reading. And uh, they did it so well. Now, what was the impetus for this film? It, it's, it, it's, it's, it does take part uh, in the city. It also takes part in, on a reserve. 
Um, and it is sort of a going home and, and coming away and not wanting to go back to the community kind of thing. There's fantasy elements to it involved. Uh, and there's some, as I said, some, some wonderful performances. Billy Morasti does a wonderful, wonderful job. Um, but as I said, you've got a very strong cast in the film. So, so what, what, where did this come from? Um, I started writing it in 2005, which was years, mm. eons ago. Um, I really wanted to make an environment where people, um, you know, they live as Native people do. They have um, connections to their ancestors, not necessarily in a literal way, but it's something that, you know, we think about a lot. And um, I really wanted it to be something that brings a little bit of joy to the individual who's living on a reserve and not necessarily living on a reserve, but who are Native and they can, you know, recognize themselves as they're watching the film. So it started in 2005, and it was after reading. It's really kind of a downer right now, describing where it came from, but it was... um, Started by reading newspaper after newspaper about suicides on Native reserves and mostly with youth. And I um, I started thinking about that, started thinking about myself. I was never one of those suicidal um, youths on reserve, but I just thought, <clears throat> what makes them, you know, go through that phase where they don't want to be here anymore? So I just thought I could create something that would give them like five minutes of happiness. Mm -hmm. And uh, if they come away from the film feeling that, then then it will be successful. But it did take many years to do. Mm. Yeah. Uh, The voice you're listening to is Shelley Neuro. She is uh, one of my guests in the studio today. You are listening to Element FM, and uh, this is a moment of truth. And this you're listening in Toronto and Ottawa. Uh, Shelley is a, a Mohawk filmmaker from Six Nations. But she's not just a filmmaker. Shelley, you've done, you know, if, the, if people are wondering where they might have heard your name, uh, you, you've been involved with multi-disciplines t- uh, in right. the arts. Yeah. I, um, I'm i a photographer and a painter, and uh, I think that's all I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do beadwork. Just those things. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm a multimedia artist, so mm. I do a lot of different things. Now, you're directing this film. And uh, you just gave us a little bit of a description of, of that. I was also wondering where it was filmed because it was, you know, had some beautiful scenery. Yeah, it was filmed in Sudbury. Okay. Yeah. And then we shot a couple little scenes in Toronto. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you, you mentioned, uh, or I, I mentioned some of these fantasy scenes, and uh, you mentioned connection to cultural. cultural. And, uh, of course, in the, and at the beginning I mentioned Elizabeth Hill, and, of course, at the very end of the film, she comes back in, and she has this song uh, that has the words faith, hope, and charity. Right. And, of course, they're part of the fantasy characters that are involved in the film. Yeah. I thought that was really beautiful, and I think she did a wonderful job of that as well. Um, can you talk a little bit about that transition, why you wanted to create those fantasy elements as, as you did in the film? Right. Well, the character of Mitzi Bearclaw comes back to the... Re- to the reserve, and she's like just dreading going back. She does not want to return, which she um, thinks of as being really boring and kind of, uh, you know, the last spot on earth that she wants to be in. And so she gets there, and her uh, when she does arrive, her father is uh, kind of sad, and her mother is really horrible to her because uh, of her own life experience, which um, 
comes from being a residential school survivor. She has diabetes. She, um, you know, is not walking. She's in a wheelchair. She's partially blind. And so she just puts herself into that environment where, you know, just very hard. And she's she's knowing or she is uh, expecting her mother to be a certain way. And she is that way. And so she just dreads it. But then she goes outside of the house and she encounters these spirits, which she probably had as a child, as uh, ancestral guardians. And they come to her and say, you know, it's not so bad. You're going to be okay. And so with that, um, she can manage to continue on her with her life on the reserve. And, you know, their names are Hope, Faith, and Charity, which I thought was kind of, well, you really do need those things when you're in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. You really do need some hope that things will get better. And, uh, you know, the faith comes from your own inner being and charity. It's like um, you have to be charitable to yourself and to other people at the same time. Mm-hmm. Don't forget about them. Yeah. And as you mentioned, uh, she does return to the reserve, but it is a universal story, as as uh, uh, Tanya pointed out. And I, you know, I just have to say too, the way Shelley's saying it, because she's probably lived with the material much, much longer than any of us here. You're missing the part that it is also incredibly funny. Like these characters that she's talking mm. about, even the mother being this just, you know grouch and whatever. <laughs> the, you find the humor, and then the fantasy, the fantasy people are just over the top hilarious and i think that's really what you know resonates is that you hear the stories like this all the time but people sometimes don't find that the nuanced humor in all of us are humorous human beings in our own way <laughs> other people find us funny and i that's the gem i think that i find in that film is she's dug that out she's mined mm. the humor from it and, and also like shelly what how you said um, um, that we need these things, and and these their their roles are are played by some of the same characters. Uh, so they play two and sometimes three characters. Uh, in in some of these parts, and um, uh, so yeah, I was I was uh, uh very surprised at one point when all of a sudden we're not on the earth anymore. <laughs> You know, so I was like, okay. So, but it was it was great, and of course, you still are able to tie in because then you have a perspective of looking at the planet, which I thought was really interesting. And now, and you you have you have Mitzi deliver the line when she's looking at the planet when they say, "Look at her, isn't she beautiful?" And she says, "Yes, but she's dying." And you're not sure if she's talking about her mother or. Mother Earth, but right. it works in in either way, and yeah. I thought that was that was really yeah, a nice touch. I think it's important to uh, make people realize that Native people also are part of the Earth as well, and they're you know they're they're fully um, they can see what's going on, and mm. so having the opportunity to shoot that scene and looking at the Earth, saying you know yeah she's dying, but I love her so much mm-hmm. is really important. Now, the other thing, of course, is that Mitzi and her adopted brother uh, are both creative. And and that's the other, I guess, part of this, going back to what you're saying about wanting to get out. Because I think that, that people that have that creative element that, that needs to be fed and they need to find a way to feed it. Um, going back into a situation uh, where uh, it feels small and confined and, and you can't can't be yourself and you can't uh, express those things and then of course she gets criticism from people about her hats and those kind of things yeah no I think it's important also I think 
part of uh, being creative is one of the things that I really try to um, express in my work. It's like, you know, everybody can be creative and it doesn't have to be filmmaking or book writing or anything. You can do anything. Beadwork, which I really love doing. It's, you know, the small, it's like doing little acts with your hands and scissors and needles and stuff. And I think if you can uh, create something from your own hand, you'll be so much happier and healthier. Um, But the Charlie B character, who is a writer, he's influenced by um, Annabelle, Mm. you know, so it comes through that she would read to him when when he was a sick child. So that influence sort of influenced his uh, mature life or his adult life. And then, you know, they they, uh, reflect on each other. But then you have the 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 real element, the, the grounding element, I guess you might call it, which is of course Annabelle being ill, and 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 as well as the uh, uh, the the brother who mm-hmm. is suffers as well, right? And that kind of really takes it back down to earth for you. Yeah. Well, for many years, I'd watch the CBC mostly around Christmas time, and they would show stories of these little kids from uh, Attawapiskat and other northern reserves where. You know, they'd be, they'd have scabs on their skin, and then would say, "Well, they're not being properly washed," which is a lot of uh, baloney, and it's you know, it's not really being dealt with. But I thought, you know, we have to have a character there that reflects those children, and uh, um, and it's a loss, you know, and it's like we're losing a lot of potential by not paying attention to what's going on up there. Mm. Um, any uh, any final comments from either of you, either about the film or the festival, or both, uh, as we, we kind of wrap up? I'm so happy to be the opening uh, film for the gala next week, and I can't wait to see it with an audience. And, and what will you be wearing? Yes. The- <laughs> oh, you'll have to come and see. <laughs> so, And we're excited. We're very excited to have the film and excited that the festival is happening next uh, week. And we're, you know, looking forward to few people going online mm. at realworld.ca mm. and looking at all the programs that are there and getting a ticket and come on down and support because Canadians need to support Canadians. Bottom absolutely. line. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Wonderfully said. Any other comments? Wonderful. Shelley Euro is the director for the incredible 25th year of Mitzi Bearclaw, and that is, as she just said, the opening film for the 19th year of the Real World Film Festival. And uh, as, as Tanya just mentioned, uh, that you can go online to realworld.ca mm-hmm. and uh, check that out to find out about films, find out about dates, find out about locations, and... Uh, Tanya is the founder of the Real World, World uh, Film Festival, so congratulations to her. Congratulations to Shelley on this film and a great cast, wonderful performances. Uh, I encourage everyone to get down there and see this film, and if you don't get to see it there, look for it. I'm sure it will be available in other places after the after the festival as well. Yep. All right, so Nyawa uh, Miigwech and... Uh, and thank you to both of you for coming in today. It was a pleasure to have you both here. Thank you. Nyawa, David. Nyawa. Okay, so welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. 
And on the line with us is uh, Annette Francis. She is a casual reporter with the Aboriginal People's Television Network. She was a full-time reporter, but went off to do other things. But she says she missed it so much she had to come back. And uh, she has covered a number of stories. We're going to look at a few of those today, and uh, some of them dealing with the election. So we'll be uh, glad to bring you up to date on those. But, uh, but one that's been going on for quite some time, which a lot of people will be familiar with, because you may have actually visited this place in the summer months. And it's uh, probably one of the most beautiful uh, areas in Ontario, certainly for uh, trying to get some... Uh, some sun and some beach uh, weather. It's Sable Beach. And uh, many people may know that the Sogging First Nation has boundary issues around Sable Beach. So, Annette, welcome to the program. Thank you. So, yeah, what can you tell us about this, uh, this boundary issue that's been going on for quite some time uh, with, the, with Sable Beach and the Sogging First Nation? Well, it's, um, it started, the legal fight began in, the, in 1990, so it's been going on for uh, three decades now. Um, it is part of a, the 1854 treaty with the Crown. Um, and so Saugeen First Nation, the fight's been going on for that long. Um, and then last fall, um, they were trying to mediate. Um, with another with the mayor of the town, previous mayor of the town of South Bruce Peninsula, mm-hmm. and then in the fall of 2018, um, Janice Jackson took over as mayor, and um, so I think issues started around that time again. And so the chief, Chief Lester Anaquat of um, Saugeen First Nation, they decided to. Um, just to, they filed a summary judgment judgment motion with the Ontario Supreme Court, um, just to confirm their ownership. So that's going to take um, a six to nine months before they go to court. It would be like a process over a week, apparently, um, to make the determination on on the facts of the Saugeen Treaty that was signed in '54. So in order for them to um, claim that as theirs again. Do, so, do you know what the the boundary issue is that they're trying to establish? What is it they're trying to to uh, accomplish with this? Um, are, well, it it but Sable Beach is is part of their reserve on the on the northern edge of their reserve, and so they're trying to get it's like it's two kilometers on mm-hmm. their reserve. Of their boundary, and so they're trying to um, to get that back, and um, so that that is what's been a part of the thirty-year battle. Yeah, I know they have a restaurant that is uh, on the reserve that's right on the beach there as well. There's a few businesses on the on the beach, um, and according to the chief, if they take if once they take over, they, he said nothing would change. Mm. But those businesses would need to pay a lease in order to operate. They also have started on their portion of the beach to not allow ve- allow vehicles. Because mm. right now vehicles are allowed on that beach. They, and they would stop all vehicles from 
driving along there. Right. Now, are they including yeah. uh, Sable Beach, uh, you know, the town of Sable Beach and that whole strip that goes up, you know, right along that whole area for, as you say, a couple of kilometers? Isn't it more like about seven kilometers long or so with that whole stretch? Well, well it is, but their claim is um, two kilometers, two kilometers of that stretch. Okay, so that is that going from like the main entrance where you pull into Sable Beach and see the big sign, and go, going north from there is that? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, yeah. That stretch there. It, it certainly is a beautiful area. Uh, certainly is a wonderful beach and has some spectacular sunsets up that way. It is a nice touristy area. Hmm. A beautiful white sand. Uh, you could say you're uh, somewhere in the Caribbean almost when you're up there. It's such a great. And some great waves, too. They have some great waves there. Yeah, and it's like the second largest beach in the world. Yeah. Freshwater beach. Yeah. Uh, Anywhere along uh, Lake Huron is is gorgeous uh, facing the west. Um, And, and, um, okay, so anything else you can tell us about that, or do you want to move on to another story? Maybe move on. Okay. Yeah, well, that's still ongoing. Yeah. I have no... New updates yet. Okay. Uh, and so now, this other uh, story that, that you covered was talking about the Liberals, the uh, Green Party, and the NDP, uh, who say they would take some action to stop violence against uh, Indigenous women. Yeah, that was um, uh, uh, one of the stories I just did last week. And um, it was in regards to. Um, the uh, Sisters in Spirit mm. rally that happened every uh, October 4th. So we met with, uh, there was a group on the hill, a lot of family members. So um, we went and spoke with uh, some of the families there who are um, concerned about ongoing issues around missing and murdered Indigenous women. And what they're hoping to see at the um, in, as far as leadership goes, in, in regards to missing and murdered Indigenous women. And that was in Ottawa, so, you said? Yeah, it was on Parliament Hill on October 4th. Mm. But yeah. also the Conservatives and the uh, People's uh, Party are, have not uh, voiced anything on this. No, we sent, I sent out um, a request to um, question them on their stance on, on that file, and the Conservatives... And the People's Party of Canada did not respond to, to my request for a comment. So the only parties that did was the NDP, the Green Party, and, of course, the Liberals. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And, and um, now the other, a couple of other Indigenous uh, stories that you've, you've covered uh, deal with uh, another another election issue, uh, which, of course, is uh, Trisha Cowie. Uh, and uh, I think you said she was from Hiawatha. Yes, she is from Hiawatha First Nation, um, but she's lived in that riding, the Perry Sound Muskoka riding, for 11 years. Mm-hmm. She's a lawyer. She has her own business um, in that riding as well, and this is the second time she ran. Um, the first time she didn't get in, and um, so she's, she's trying again. And, and what uh, party is she representing? The Liberal Party. She is, eh? Um, yeah. And, and uh, do you know how it's looking for her? Do you know if she's getting much support in that area? 
Well, we did. Uh, we we attended a forum um, a few weeks ago, and uh, an all candidates forum, and it was it was pretty packed. And she did seem to have a lot of support mm. there in the room before the forum. Mm. But I think it looks it looks good, but you never know. Yeah. Now, uh, 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 and that you, your area that you cover, uh, Ottawa is part of that area. Um, you yourself are up around the Alderville and Hiawatha, all around. There's a lot of small reserves up around in that area that, that certainly have a lot of things going on. Where, um, yeah, and I'm from um, I'm from Alderville. Hiawatha is across the lake, um, located right on Rice Lake. Alderville is on the southern shore. Hiawatha is on the northern shore. And then a little further north is Curve Lake First mm. Nation. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a very beautiful area, and of course, uh, Rice Lake, uh, good good uh, fishing area, of course. Yes, it is walleye. Hmm. Um, so, listen, one other story you you covered, and that was to do with uh, Indigenous authors becoming mandatory in, uh, I think it was the Kawartha Pine Ridge School Board area. Yeah. Yes, the Kawartha Pine Ridge District School Board um, is. They're making that um, mandatory for grade 11 English. Mm. Um, And so there's uh, 13 high schools within that school board. And so we, um, yeah, we saw the story on that um, in the Newcastle, a school in Newcastle, and spoke with some students that um, uh, have been taking that course and so far, it's been they've it's been good feedback. Mm. So right now, the teachers uh, started out with, of course, an introduction of um, of a little bit of uh, indigenous studies, I guess, so that they are prepare them for for the authors um, that they'll be reading the books that they'll be reading, mm. um, so that they can understand, you know, some of the cultural things mm. that they're right. talking about. Right. Yeah. Oh, that makes that makes sense. Uh, let's hope that uh, continues to grow, and uh, we hear more about that. Uh, now, we we just talked about a couple of uh, reserves in the area that you're looking at, Hiawatha being one of them. And uh, you you did a story earlier, uh, I guess this fall, a little bit, but it's still kind of relevant. Uh, the weather is still warm enough to some degree, but uh, about about some some a couple helping butterflies, I think it was. Yes, uh, Sandra and Barry Moore from Hiawatha. First Nation, they started um, to help with the butterfly population by helping them to, um, what they do is they start in the season gathering um, milkweed because um, that's that's the major, that's the the major food that the butterflies eat. And they also start to, their cocoon under those. Mm. They those so actually they started nesting, and just for a safe place due to lack of habitat. You know, farmers cutting and uh, fields, and that milkweed getting destroyed. So um, they started doing nesting boxes for butterflies, and it's been this year they were able to hatch over two hundred butterflies. Hmm. Wow! Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. That's interesting you say milkweed. I remember uh, seeing uh, milkweed all over the place as a kid when I grew up, and also 
seeing those cocoons on them. So it's interesting. Interesting milkweed, you know, when you split it open, it's almost like a cocoon to some degree when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It was it was pretty. And um, while we were there, we were trying to wait around for some of them to hatch. But it's interesting because it's something you don't, you don't, you know, you don't think about as you get older. And you remember seeing those things when you're a kid. Mm. And so it, it kind of just brings back, you know, all those, all those memories of learning about learning that process when you were, you know, in kindergarten or whatever. <laughs> so it was interesting. It was good to see. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, great. Well, listen, I know you've got to run, but we really want to thank you for taking the time to be with us on the show today and share uh, some of the uh, stories you've been covering and give us uh, a little bit of more information on that. And people that are interested, they can, of course, go to uh, aptn.ca and uh, they can check out those stories on aptn uh, on the news uh, area in on their website, correct? Yes. All right. Well, Annette, uh, we look forward to hearing from you again and wish you all the best with uh, future stories. I know you guys are going to be very busy with the upcoming election coverage that you'll be doing. I know here at uh, Element FM, we will also be taking some live coverage from APTN on uh, the new, on the election on October 21st evening. So we look forward to partnering with you guys on that. So uh, thanks, uh, right. for, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you. All right. Take care. We'll talk to you again. And that was Annette Francis. She is a a casual news reporter with the Aboriginal People's Television Network in around the uh, Ottawa, Alderville, and uh, Hiawatha area, as you heard of some of the stories that she's covered right off, uh, oh, of course, right over to uh, Sable Beach as well. It was great to have her on the show. That is Element FM for today. Nyao miigwech for listening, and make sure to tune in next time.